We celebrate, we did something odd on Good Friday. We celebrate the death that brought life. On Good Friday, we actually celebrate the death of Jesus. And celebrating a death might seem kind of morbid and strange if you don't understand what happened when Jesus died. The death of Jesus was the very plan of God for the salvation of the human race. God does not offer salvation to angels or to animals, but to humans alone. We are made in God's image, and we're created to know God and walk in relationship with him. For this reason, God sent his son to be the savior of the world. Our sin separates us from God. We were destined, because of our sin, to an eternity of punishment for our rebellion. But God offered himself to be broken for us. Jesus' death then brought us life. The death of the pure Lamb of God was the only way we could be forgiven and brought back to life. Matthew 27, verses 50 through 53, recounts a portion of the moment when Jesus passed from this life, when he, in a moment, in a sense, paid for our sin. This is what it says, uh, Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. What led up to this moment was a battle at a cosmic level, a battle that shook all of the heavens and all that God had created. Creator God, or God Most High, as he's referred to in the early uh, portions of the Old Testament, in the beginning, this God spoke the universe into being. It was not an accidental creation. The idea of a spontaneous explosion that resulted in the origins of life is the result of foolish human wisdom along with the deception of the devil. There was a big bang, but the bang was God's voice. God created male and female in his image. In the image of God, he made them male and female. They were created with untested character. Humans, as the image bearers of God, were designed to reflect his character. We were designed to have the capacity of God to love, to serve, to give. Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil and broke God's commands. In doing so, brought sin into what God had created. And that sin brought the curse of death. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. To sin is simply to fall short of what God designed us, how he designed us to live, and we're designed to live in accordance with his character. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of that sin is death, and that means spiritual death and physical death. But it says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus surrendered to the will of God the Father and came to earth taking on human form. Philippians chapter 2 
The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pens these words in description of what Jesus did. He said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, God was unwilling to settle for eternal separation from his image bearers. He came to serve you and me. On Thursday of Holy Week, which was yesterday, Jesus, in that first week that we celebrate, Jesus set in motion what we call the passion of the Christ when he sent Judas on his way to betray him. This betrayal, which was uh, delivered with a kiss, led to Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. But not before Luke, as Luke describes, he endured the pain and pressure of accepting the mission of the Father for him. Luke chapter 22, uh, Dr. Luke writes these words, recounting for us what happened. He says, He walked away, that is Jesus, about a stone's throw from the disciples, and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in agony of spirit. He was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Jesus, under such immense pressure uh, with the realization of what he would carry, the, the weight of the sin of all of the human race, that he probably experienced what we know as blood sweat, a phenomenon that we see amongst humans in our weakness under immense pressure, uh, both psychologically and emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. Jesus was under that pressure in the Garden of Gethsemane as he weighed under what he, would, what he was called to do by the Father. This pressure was so great at accepting the mission to carry in his being the weight of the sin of the human race that the capillaries in his forehead literally burst. He was in deep prayer when he suddenly startled his disciples from their sleep. And as Matthew's gospel puts it, Jesus said, up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. The guards who had been sent by the Sanhedrin arrested Jesus. His disciples ran for their lives, abandoning him in his moment of greatest threat. Thursday night, the guards made an attempt to soften Jesus psychologically by ridiculing him and slapping him around. Early Friday morning, the phone, uh, this phony trial began. The plot hatched by Satan to kill God was underway. 
this evil so deep that it affected all who witnessed it had an impact. Obviously, someone was there who told the disciples later what happened. Perhaps it was Nicodemus who had come to Jesus by night asking how he could be a part of the kingdom of God. He was a Pharisee. They did not know what, was, uh, they, did not know what they were doing. I believe only the devil truly understood that they were moving towards the killing of God himself, the one who had created them and gave them life. Perhaps Satan thought he could actually kill God, seeing God take on human form. He thought, uh, here's a weakness, and I can actually accomplish the takeover of heaven, which is what he longs to do. At any rate, the devil, uh, this deep evil could have only come from him. This kangaroo court found what they needed when the leaders were successful in getting Jesus to acknowledge that he was God. Of course, they called this blasphemy, but it, was only, it would have only been blasphemy if it were not true that he was the Son of God. Luke's gospel recounts this trial in this way. At daybreak, all the elders of the people assembled, including the, leaders, uh, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. Jesus was led before this high council, and they said, Tell us, are you the Messiah? But he replied, If I tell you, you won't believe me, and if I ask a question, you won't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. They all shouted, So you are claiming to be the Son of God. Why do we need other witnesses, they said. We ourselves heard him say it. Jesus was then sent to Pilate, who was the Roman uh, leader of the area, the, the Roman ruler appointed by Rome, was Pilate. So Jesus was sent to Pilate, who alone held the power to pronounce a death sentence on Jesus. Pilate was not convinced by their desire for Jesus' blood, He knew that it was a scam, and so he sent Jesus to Herod, who was the puppet king of the Jews, also been put in place by Rome. Well, Herod wanted to see Jesus perform some miracles. He'd been anticipating and wanting to get Jesus into his palace, so he was delighted that Jesus was sent to him, and he tried to get him to show, uh, do a magic trick and show him a miracle. Of course, Jesus wouldn't comply with his uh, his silly game, so Herod grew frustrated and began to mock Jesus along with his palace court. Finally, they placed a robe on him and a crown of thorns on his head and sent him back to Pilate. Pilate pronounced Jesus innocent after examining him, and especially after his wife sent him this message. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Pilate tried to get them to release Jesus, but they would have none of it. Instead, choosing to release a known killer and barbarian in Barabbas. Pilate, finally seeing that a riot would ensue if he did not pronounce uh, pronounce the death sentence over Jesus, he called for a bowl of water and symbolically washed his hands of the matter. But in the end, he spoke the words and gave the order for Jesus to be crucified. Jesus was then whipped with a cat of nine tails, uh, a whip with many strands, lead tied to the end, 40 lashes minus one, because 40 
would kill a man typically. This left Jesus with, a flesh, uh, with his flesh torn from his back, blood oozing from his torn skin. They marched Jesus along with two other criminals to a place called the place of the skull or Golgotha where uh, their torturous death um, would take place. They offered Jesus a sedative to ease the pain. He refused it. Then they drove large nails, probably seven inches long, through his wrists here so that it would hold his weight. If it was in his hand, uh, it would rip through because as he hung on the cross, uh, really what he had to do was lift himself up so he could breathe. And so he'd lift himself up on the nails in his feet and in his hands and take a breath and breathe as long as he could until he lost strength and then he would sag down and the breath would be pushed out of his lungs and he wouldn't be able to breathe. Victim could last doing this sometimes up to 24 hours depending on their strength. Jesus, having been whipped, was already low on blood and uh, the wounds from the nails would have oozed more. His heart and lungs would have begun to fail, causing a buildup of fluid around his heart. The scriptures tell us that during the time God hung on the cross, creation was shaken as darkness fell over the land. It says this way, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then Jesus spoke to uh, two powerful phrases at the end of his life. It says uh, one of them, then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthana, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And then Jesus then shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit to your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. Then a series of events took place as creation itself responded to the physical death of God himself. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. Jesus endured a couple of things on the cross as he hung there. Uh, he endured a couple of things that are very significant for you. First of all, we need to understand that Jesus and the Father are uh, one, right? Uh, the Bible tells us we have one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so what we need to understand is that Jesus lived in perfect unity for all eternity. Uh, so connected, so unified with the Father, it's as though they're the same person, though they're not. But their oneness is something we really struggle to understand. Uh, it is the closest example we have of it that Scripture teaches us is marriage, where a husband and wife are to become one. But we know <laughs> that we struggle for that oneness. It doesn't come easily and, and rarely do we achieve it really. But Jesus was so connected to the Father, they were one and they had lived this way for all eternity, knowing each other with deep intimacy, serving one another, loving one another. And as Jesus hung on the cross, the Father turned his back on Jesus because Jesus carried and literally became sin, something the Father cannot look on. Jesus also became sin, and this is significant because uh, the Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus, uh, we know, uh, came from heaven, took on a human body, and lived this life with sinless perfection. He did not sin. This was necessary because only a perfect sacrifice could pay for 
the sin of all humanity. And so Jesus walked that life, never having committed sin. We don't understand that. We're born in sin. We live in sin. We have a sin nature that's connected to our beings. We have no idea what it would be like not to sin. The closest thing is when we trust Christ and, and, the, and the Bible tells us that our sin nature is cut away from our nature and we can begin to do good. We can actually live in obedience to God. But we still struggle with sin. Jesus knew nothing of this. His nature was not tainted by any type of sin. And yet he became sin. Jesus, in that moment, 30-some hours, uh, he was uh, dead. And in that time frame, he lived under and paid for, listen, he, he, he accomplished the equivalent of the entire human race dying and spending eternity in hell separated from God. He accomplished that in 30-some hours. Uh, he took the sin of the world on him and paid for all of it. Some suggest that perhaps Jesus only atoned for, which means paid for, the sin of the elect, those that are chosen. But the scripture tells us that Jesus paid for the sin of the world. When one died, all died. And so Jesus accomplished this powerful work. It's hard, again, for us to even comprehend. Uh, we know what it's like to struggle with our own sin and to try not to sin and to carry the weight and the consequences of our sin. Jesus carried all of it. Lastly, he endured great physical pain with the type of death that the Father uh, asked him to uh, suffer through, to endure. Perhaps it's because for us, the physical death is an example. It gives us a picture of what he really did and the suffering he really endured, which was the spiritual suffering. Romans 5 um, declares it this way. It says, when we were utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time and died for us, died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us, sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, we will certainly, uh, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. God's love for you is beyond measure. He has given all to rescue you from the path of destruction that you are on or were on. For some, the act of humbling themselves to acknowledge their need is just too great. They look at the message of the cross and they say, I'm a good person. I haven't done anything that bad. I'm better than my neighbor. They look with disdain, in a sense, at the cross they say in their hearts, I don't really need that. Would you open your eyes to the reality of your condition if you have not already? Would you look past the condemnation that in your pride you struggle to acknowledge and see the sacrifice of God himself for you? In two days we'll celebrate Easter and the good news of the resurrection. 
The message is titled The Offense of the Cross. Would you consider between now and then that great love that God has for you, the great cost of your sin, the profound love of your creator and savior, Jesus. He did come to set us free. Some don't believe in hell, some struggle to believe in sin, but Jesus' death was unnecessary if those things were not true of us. God, if we were all going to end up in heaven anyway, God wouldn't have gone to such lengths, wouldn't have need to go to such lengths to save us. Jesus' death was absolutely essential because of our condition and the reality of it. We struggle at times to really, really accept it because of our pride, because this is our human condition. And yet the truth is, maybe sobering, maybe hard to accept, but it's life-giving, it's freeing, because Jesus endure the death that brings the possibility of life. So often what keeps us from engaging that is simply our pride. It's simply our unwillingness to really accept and really come to grips with who we really are and where we stand before God. It's typically an emotional decision. Logic and reason would lead us to see the outcome, the truth of what the Bible presents But our emotions get in the way. And so we make emotional decisions based on what we want to do or how we want to live, the control we want to keep. And we fail to acknowledge the truth of what's right in front of us. It's plain to see. It's extremely cerebral. We all are sinners. I don't, I haven't met a person that hasn't acknowledged that they're not perfect. That's the very definition of it. And yet, when faced with the gospel, at times it's difficult to step into a situation in a position of humility and surrender. The profound love that Jesus had for you is beyond your ability to comprehend. Tonight we'll take communion. And this was initiated Thursday night before Judas left to betray Jesus. He shared a final meal with his disciples and that's where he broke bread and passed wine and asked them to engage in this ceremony that he uh, uh, encouraged them, really commanded them to continue to do until his return. Peter was an outspoken, passionate disciple. He always wanted to be in the middle of things. He always wanted to understand what was going on. He was pressing for more. You'll remember he got out of the boat and walked on water, right? Because he wanted to experience everything. In the final moments of Jesus' life as he was under trial, Jesus himself, or Peter himself denied Jesus and committed what he considered to be an unforgivable act. And yet Jesus reinstituted him, forgave him. First Peter, <clears throat> one of Peter's books, first, uh, first Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, he describes it this way. He says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He's your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not, restrain, he did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally, listen, he personally carried our sins in his body 
on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Jesus endured the death that brought life. If you would take your communion packets, the first step is to peel back the thin, clear layer on top, and that will allow you to pull out a wafer. Jesus, as he shared the final meal with his disciples, he took bread, as I said, and he broke it, and he passed it around. He said, take a piece of this and eat it. This represents my body that's going to be broken for you. On this Good Friday, we remember with, uh, with a little more, um, perhaps soberness, but a little more contemplativeness, uh, what it meant for Jesus' body to be broken was no small thing. He endured great suffering in the form of death that he was asked to endure. Jesus said, my body's going to be broken for you. See, I have to be broken so you can be made whole. It is through death that life is brought. And so Jesus passed around the bread. And so before we take this, I just want to say a prayer for us together. Jesus, on this Good Friday, we remember what you did for us, and we say thank you with all the gratitude in our hearts. Uh, We acknowledge that most of the time we don't recognize what you did for us. We don't acknowledge it. We don't live in such a way as to honor you and and to say thank you for what you've done for us. And yet, in this moment, we stop to reflect and we say thank you. Thank you for your willingness to endure the passion to go through such suffering and agony, to be separated from your Father, to carry our sin in your body. Thank you for being broken for us. Let's take and eat the bread together. If you peel back the next layer of foil, you get the juice. Jesus then, uh, the scripture tells us, took a cup and passed it around to his disciples. He said, take and drink. This represents my blood that is going to be spilt for you. The Bible does tell us that without the shedding of blood, there is not the remission or the removal of sin. It can't be covered without blood. It's because sin has a high price and a high consequence. Um, What is required is justice. It must be made right. And so um, through the nature of the fact that we are living beings, for us to, uh, for our sin to be paid for, it must be paid for by a perfect living being. And so Jesus came uh, out of obedience to God the Father. See, God the Father um, came up with the plan to save us, right? This was, uh, he was not going to tolerate being separated from you for all eternity. The devil would like you to think that God's against you, the truth is, he's against you. God is for you. Would, you. would you stop a minute to listen to that truth, to consider what God did for you as Jesus hung on the cross? Jesus allowed his blood to be spilt. You know, as the 
The Pharisees, religious leaders, walked by. They said, you know, you call yourself the Messiah. You're supposed to be God. Get yourself down off the cross. They taunted him. They wanted to do something, bring power to this problem. And yet Jesus was walking the perfect plan of God, which was to humble himself, submit to a criminal's death. That was the only way. Do you not think that Jesus could have called angels to destroy those that wanted to kill him? Of course he could. Of course he could, and that's our thought of what power is. And yet Jesus walked with real power, which is the the power of submission, to surrender. And so we remember Jesus' blood shed for us on this night. God, thank you for your sacrifice. Jesus, thank you for carrying our sin in your body and for allowing your blood to be spilt by weak, dishonest, leaders who thought that they knew the truth but were blind. And Father, we confess that times we're blind too. We don't always recognize who you are and what you've done. We don't always stop to remember and to say thank you. And so tonight we do. We pause for a moment in our hearts and say, with gratitude, thank you for your blood shed for us so that we could be forgiven, we could be brought to life again. And so we remember on this night the sacrifice you made for us. Let's drink the juice together. It almost um, really is beyond comprehension what God has done for us. And so on this Good Friday, we do celebrate what Jesus did, his sacrifice that brought us life. So thank you for being here and for sharing this moment. These moments are rare, and so I'm thankful for it. I know you are too. And in just a couple of days, we'll celebrate um, that Jesus did not stay dead, but he rose from the dead, proving that he had power over sin and death. So we can have confidence that his sacrifice really can bring us salvation.